Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. And nobody has to, because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. drive-through drink station. <laughs> but you do not put a straw in the drink. You, you, yeah, you must keep the top on on the drink because once you put the straw in, now you are driving with an open container, which is a big, big no-no. So yes. this is what you do. You go drive in, get your yeah. drinks, get a six-pack, go home and party. <laughs> then <laughs> you can take your straws out. <laughs> well, I didn't find any daiquiris uh, on my trip to uh, the Basque region of Spain, but I found a lot of other wonderful things. You cool. really did. Uh, looking at your photos, reading your article, um, it, it just looks absolutely beautiful. And you call this the green Spain. Yes. Yeah, why it's, do you um, This area and... Uh, is called Green Spain for obvious reasons because it, it gets so much rainfall. I think they get, on average, the city of Bilbao, which is the largest city in the, uh, the Spanish Basque region, gets something like 172 or 180 days of rain a year. So wow. the, the mountains just sort of spring out of the, the, uh, out of the ocean, of the Bay of Biscay, and they're beautiful and green. And I was there in the springtime, so they were very uh, lush and beautiful. It was, it was wonderful. So the wines, of course, are beautiful and fresh, just like the, the landscape and the influence of the sea. And the food is absolutely incredible. Nice. 
And apparently also, like, if you like seafood, right? Anchovies and... Oh, my gosh. Anchovies, sardines, uh, cod, of course. Uh, cod is, is linked to the Basque culture, as it is in other Spanish oh. cultures, too. Uh, hake, uh, whaling was really big in uh, Basque culture uh, many, well, over a century ago. And uh, so, yes, all, all the things to do with the sea are intertwined with their culture, most definitely. And that's something I, I want to go into their culture because reading your article, you talk about that this, this culture, the Basque culture, really goes back over 30,000 years. Yeah, it's it's really incredibly fascinating, and uh, I learned a little bit about it while I was there, uh, and then I learned more by reading an absolutely fantastic book. It's called The Basque History of the World, and it's by uh, author uh, Mark Kurlansky, and uh, he goes into all the intricacies of this incredible history and heritage, and much of their history is sort of shrouded in mystery. You know, the, the Basque hmm. region is not just in Spain. It also goes, uh, curves around the uh, western side, or sorry, eastern side of the Bay of Biscay and crosses the border into the southwestern region of France. And uh, they really don't know for sure how long the, the Basques or their forebears uh, have been in the region, but they do believe it may link as far back as Cro-Magnon Man, which is kind of a long period of time. Wow. I always thought that Basque was, came about as intermarriage bef- between Spain, Spanish people, and French people. Is that not true? Well, actually, they think that they may have come, well, the language at least, may have originated in Armenia. Their language is possibly the oldest living language in Europe. It has absolutely no connection to the other uh, languages on the continent, and uh, they now think that it could be linked to ancient Armenia, which is pretty fabulous when you think about it. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And they were there when the Romans got there in around uh, 218 so B.C. So, yeah, they've been around a long time. Or, sorry, A.D. Mm. I was going to say, you know, when you think about, um, you know, Basque, when you think about Basque here in, in America, you find them up in uh, central California, you find them in Elko and Nevada, um, and they're often connected with sheep. And they're sheep herding, they're, they've got Basque restaurants, it's normally very family style, everybody's sitting together at a big table, stews, but a lot of you know, eating sheep. <laughs> mutton, <laughs> mutton. And mutton, mutton, yeah, um, is the word. And and drinking red wine, and that's kind of where I always thought it, it would be like very kind of connected to Portuguese culture. Yeah, well, the Basques are great travelers, you know, all throughout their history. They, uh, they're they always very happy to tell you that it, uh, that it wasn't really Christopher Columbus that discovered the Americas. It was the Basques <laughs> because they were uh, chasing the, the schools of codfish, and uh, they crossed the Atlantic Ocean and uh, are given credit for discovering the Outer Banks and Nova Scotia, that, that area. Mm-hmm. And uh, they also will tell you that uh, one of their most famous people, his name's Juan Sebastian Alcano, and he was the first uh, to circumnavigate the globe. 
so you know they they're very uh, adventurous group of people mm-hmm. in their history. They love to because the Basque country is so small and it's so mountainous that most people either live in a few cities or they live in small villages or farms up in the mountains. And so there isn't a lot of room for them to expand. And they were persecuted for, you know, periods of time in in history. So they would uh, go off, and a lot of them went to Mexico and South America, the Philippines, definitely uh, North America. And I think a lot of them ended up in the sort of the California, Nevada region because uh, mm-hmm. they were pursuing the gold yeah. and the silver claims in the gold mm-hmm. rush period. So, yeah, mm-hmm. and that whole idea of the big long tables and the family-style meals and everybody sitting around and, and sharing and eating is totally, totally Basque. But the food that you mentioned, the lamb and the red wine, that's going to be in the next part of my Basque adventure when, okay. uh, when I talk about uh, Rioja Alavesa and the famous wineries there in the Tempranillo. But there's sort of three parts to where the Basque lives. There, there's the sea and the mountains where you find the, the shepherds and the, the beautiful sheep and the wonderful woolens. And, uh, and then you get down into the uh, Ebro River Valley where you get more wineries, but this time red wine and a warmer climate and lots and lots of lamb. Wow. Hmm. Okay, so there is the, these connections are there, but now you say Bilbao is the, the main city, right? B- Bilbao, yes. Bilbao, Bilbao is the largest city in the the Basque region. Okay, and when you were there, you went to the Guggenheim Museum. I didn't even know there was a Guggenheim there, but now I know it's it's most incredible structure. Uh, it was designed by uh, another famous Can-American, as I like to call myself, a Canadian-American architect, Frank Geary. I'm very, mm-hmm. very familiar name to people who love modern architecture. Mm-hmm. And uh, he uh, constructed this beautiful building or do- designed this incredible building on the, uh, the river front, the uh, Neveron River, in Bilbao. And Bilbao was known mostly, especially during the turn of the last century, as a very industrial place. Uh, there were uh, iron mines, there were huge iron deposits in the region. So it was a big export port for iron, and there were smelters near the river, and it was not the cleanest place. And when uh, Spain entered the, uh, after they had their constitution implemented in 1978 after the end of the Franco era. They, uh, they decided to clean things up and fix up the area. And in the, <clears throat> excuse me, in the 1990s, they approached the Guggenheim Foundation because you know, they had their main museum in New York, but they were looking for other locations around the world where they could uh, expand and build new museums and uh, install parts of their collection, permanent collections in these museums. And that was basically the start of this wonderful rejuvenation of the riverfront from mucky industrialized to a center for arts and uh, progress and, and bringing Bilbao into the new century. Wow. Yeah. Nice. So this is like, it's hmm. going through all these different changes because it's, it's so old, these old cities, you know. And 
Oh, extremely, yeah. Okay, so it's part of Spain. So when it comes to, like, federal law is Spanish law, right? Yeah, there. Spain is made up of a lot of autonomous regions, yeah. uh, like Catalonia, where Barcelona is the, the main city. You know, you hear a lot in the news about them uh, fighting for their independence. They're already mm -hmm. an, an autonomous region, as is the Basque area. So they have their own parliament, their own government, uh, their own judiciary, but they are still tied to Spain, but they do have mm. pretty much autonomous self-government. It's kind of like a colony. Yeah, there's something, I think, like uh, mm. 14 or 17 autonomous regions in, in Spain. Mm. So it's sort of like, um, you know, states have, you know, their own laws and their own governments and state but houses and so on, federal. but they're still tied to the federal government. So it's sort of similar to that mm. in the fashion. Yeah, because then we have federal law and state law, and every once in a while, There'll be a state law that contradicts, especially in California. Go California! Yeah. Contradicts some <laughs> of the other laws. <laughs> well, you got to keep things interesting, right? <laughs> I know it's cool. <laughs> and you know, Mark Heinrich, our employment attorney, California employment attorney, is based in San Diego, and he goes, "Well, actually, it goes San Diego law, then California law, then federal law." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" Okay. No, it's complicated, but it's fun. I like it. <laughs> Keep on your toes. <laughs> one, one thing I noticed, uh, you know, it seems like this region, uh, like most of the regions, are pretty walkable. This seems to be like Bill Bow. Bill Bow. Bill Bow seems to be very walkable, <laughs> right? As in other areas too. It is. Um, I spent, I had, I was, I went to the region to attend a, a wine tourism conference, and I went a couple of days ahead so that I could uh, get over my jet lag and explore mm. Bilbao, and I did it all on foot, and uh, it, wow. I love towns like that, because then you really get to mm. stop and look at things close up, and you don't just see yeah. it, you smell it, and you hear it, and you feel it, and, and I'm happy to say it was drizzly when I was there, so it lived up to its reputation, uh, but it, <laughs> it didn't matter, it was just beautiful, and I spent uh, a whole day, uh, you know, I stayed in a really charming hotel just down from the Guggenheim. And I spent several hours at the Guggenheim, and I walked uh, down the riverside, and then I crossed over to the other mm. side and went all the way down. It curves. I followed the river, and it curves down to the uh, Casco Viejo, which is the, the old central uh, part of the original Bilbao, and then walked back and went to the, uh, the Bilbao uh, Fine Arts Museum. And I was gone all day and wasn't tired, and it was fabulous. And I, nice. I don't know how many kilometers I walked, but I slept really well that night. <laughs> I bet. It's cool. I've been doing a lot of that, too. And I love cities that are walkable, that you can stroll, take mm -hmm. time, soak up the atmosphere, soak up you know, what you're looking at, be able to just feel it, saunter. You want to saunter. Yeah. And, and, and the thing that's interesting, too, is that it seems that their, their food, their tapas, which I can't pronounce how they say it, but their, they, their food is set up for walkers. 
Yeah, it's called Pinchos. Uh, and it's fun, fun things about the Basque language. The, the Basque region in their dialect is called Uscada, and the language is called Uscara. And uh, you'll, when you look at it, it's kind of intimidating when you see it written out or you see street signs and things because there's lots of words that have TX or TT and lots of Zs mm. and you go yeah. like, oh, my God, how do I? And so there's a classic example. Mm. Pinchos is spelt with a TX, but that's pronounced like a CH, like a CH. Oh. So Pinchos. And, you know, they're a little bit different from tapas. When you think of tapas, they're usually small plates, and, you know, you get a couple of them, and you and your friends sit at the table, and you, you share them. You share the different plates. But with pinchos, they're individual little servings, uh, just a few bites, and uh, they got the name pinchos because of the name of the pick or skewer that holds a lot of the original style of pinchos together onto a piece of bread or um, maybe a, a sardine and a, a pepper and a couple of big, fat, juicy olives all skewered together on a, on a pick, and that's where they got their name. And uh, now there's <laughs> over three, I think it's 3,000 different types of pinchos. There's the wow. traditional ones uh, that's called the Gilda, which is the one I just described, named after the Rita Hayworth movie. Like what it has to do with Rita Hayworth, except it's curvy. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, and, a couple of big uh, olives. Yeah, and there are all these traditional ones, and then there uh, is also this whole uh, group of chefs that are opening pinchos bars where everything is very modern and laid out in this beautiful, precise manner, like a nouvelle cuisine of pinchos. And they have competitions every year. And it's wow. it's a big deal if you win, like, Bilbao's Best Pinchos or San Sebastián's or whatever. It's it's a huge, huge accomplishment. But they are. They're the kind of thing people have at, say, oh, around 11 or 12 o'clock in the afternoon, and they just want a little something, and they'll go into yeah. one of these little bars, and they'll have a Pinchos and just a small, not even, a, like, a regular-sized glass of wine, just a small pour of wine or a cider or a beer, and uh, and then off they go. It's again very civilized. It's a pick me up. It's it is a pick me up. Most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to say um, the the Rita Hayworth part of it. <laughs> yeah. You know the, Mar- the Margarita legend has it that the Margarita Margarita was named after Rita Hayworth. I thought That's that. Because yeah. she drank a yeah. ton. Because she, they used, drank she a ton used to go down there a lot, didn't she, to Baja? Yes. A lot of the Hollywood. Yes. Yes. That yeah. did at that time. Yeah. Margarita Henkel, the daughter of a German ambassador, who walked into this dude's bar. And said, make me this. And <laughs> <laughs> this was in 1944. I just had a Google it to make sure it was like on the same, the right path. And yeah. So, so uh, you know, she's apparently, you know, she's an amused for food and wine. Or, or yeah, who would have thought, right? I know. So this is exciting. So the, I like this because it's like walking food. Yeah, and we like that. Just nibble as you as you stroll. Mm-hmm. So while you were there, did you go into the Guggenheim? Oh yes, I did. I went into the Guggenheim and uh, I probably spent about two and a half hours there. And I have to say, I was 
I was really surprised because I would not consider myself to be a huge fan of modern art. And that is what the the dominant mm. genre is of the permanent collection. But the <laughs> the first night I got there, I walked around and I looked at the building and the uh, art installations that are outside the building and thoroughly enjoyed that. But I thought, well, I'll go in. And they had a special exhibit, and it was um, Van Gogh to Picasso, and it would cover oh. the, um, the Impressionist movement. So I thought, well, I know I'll enjoy that. So if nothing else, and I wanted to see the inside of the building because it's the atrium is just, the inside is just awe-inspiring. It's incredible. But I went and I went through the entire museum and it just blew my mind. It was incredible. And I came out with a completely new appreciation for modern art. Wow. See, that's, hmm. that's, that's awesome. Yeah, because we box ourselves in. Sometimes with with art and music, it's like mm-hmm. I love this kind of music. Like you know, I love the blues. And then sometimes someone will put on like something I would never think of listening to, and I might like it. Right. Well, like today, especially with very young children, or like, oh, I don't want to listen to classical. That's all fuddy-duddy. But then, as they grow up, they start finding the roots of the music they love in classical music. And eventually they start listening to it, too. So it's just a matter of time before you start to open your mind to things you thought you would but not modern, like. Modern art is... It's, well, you can have a couple of margaritas and go look. It makes it easier. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Guggenheim well, does have two. It has a bistro and a restaurant, and they also have a little See? bar. I think one of the See, pictures that I, I sent to you was of a pinchos and a glass of wine, and I was sitting in oh. their little bar area looking out over the river. See, there was my little pick-me-up cool. before I went on my... See, it's your pick-me-up and help you look. <laughs> I love it. So the coast, this is it. You went to the coast, and I think this is the other thing. You think about Spain, you think about the coast. And you think about food, you think about art, you know, and the history, but... Um, this sounds really beautiful, and you said that it mm. actually was part of the Game of Thrones, like it was part of the... Oh, cool. Time. Yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. This area traveling between uh, Bilbao and um, uh, San Sebastian, which is one of the other main cities of the region, the coastline is really, really rugged. Uh, and if somebody is a Game of Thrones fan, they may be familiar with um, a lot of scenes that were filmed in an area that was called Dragon Isle. It was where uh, Daenerys Targaryen and the Targaryens, that was their stronghold. And it has this amazing beach and these rock formations that just shut up in these these straight vertical angles and and this uh, this walkway over the sea, this little tiny trail that rises up on these rocks above the ocean that in the television show goes to their their um, fortified castle. But mm. in reality, what's at the end of this walkway is an old hermitage. So it's uh, that dates back to the Jesuit period. So, but it's, wow. yeah, it is. And so they have these huge straws. Wow. We didn't get to see it, unfortunately, because it's a little off the beaten path. But uh, mm. there are quite a few places in Spain where they filmed Game of Thrones. So a lot of people go there just, just to see it. 
because of that. It's called San Juan. Let's see if I can pronounce it. Gasalugach. Well, oh, go. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and if I offended any Uscada speakers out there, please forgive me. <laughs> I'm letting you do all this. Man. Mm. You know, we're here in Natchitoches, Louisiana, and, and look. We have to say Natchitoches. It's not Natchitoches as it looks when you fill it up. It's Natchitoches, <laughs> and then there's all the French. Oh, we got to tell you. I know. We have to tell you You're this. So story. funny. What's that? We, we get into Natchitoches. It's so funny. almost midnight. We've, we've been on the road since 1 in the morning. <laughs> wow. It's, a, it's one of those rides. Mm. We get here to our hotel. We check in. And there's what's called the French market. The French market here. So mm. there's food in gas stations, and it is really good. It's food. good food. It's really good. Mm. In fact, where we're about to go uh, this weekend has a gas food tra- uh, gas station food trail. That's and how good the food is. It's so bizarre. Food trail. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's crazy, but it's really good. <laughs> So gas station food trails and drive through daiquiris. I know. Yes, oh, see, you see how we're rocking it. <laughs> However, when you go to the downtown district and you see the beautiful ironwork and the brick, oh, so and cool. the brick paved streets and the views of the Cane River Lake, trust me, you, you, it, it is absolutely beautiful. This is like a whole oh, new planet here. Yeah, yeah. It yeah, just sounds is. fascinating. Oh, another place it is. on my You've list. It is. got to come. Yeah, please do. Hillary, Hillary, we're saying you're the one. We're like, you gotta go. <laughs> yeah, you'll get it. It's French, and but anyway, continue on because anyway, this is funny. And by the way, Canadians come here all the time because they're related to the founder. Oh yeah, of course. Denis yeah. Saint mm-hmm. Denis Denis, Denis. Okay, Jean Baptiste Denis. Okay. Saint Jean no. Baptiste Denis. Denis. Figure that. that is while you get gas station food. <laughs> so there you go. What have I what have I done to you two? I, know, I, I don't know. know. Sardines, 
and mm. uh, beautiful, big, fat, juicy sardines that they pack in olive oil, and they're just so scrumptious. Uh, they're also famous for their little seaside restaurants where they grill the fish on uh, open pits, just the way they've done for centuries. You know, when the fishermen would come back oh, wow. yeah. and they get back into port and they'd be really hungry, so they'd grab a fish off their boat and grill it up, and they do they do turbo and hake and all. It's just incredible, and it's also the uh, famous for being the birthplace of that. Juan Sebastian Alcano, the global circumnavigator, and also hmm. the birthplace of uh, the famous designer Cristobal Balenciaga. So uh, most people ah. think Balenciaga is French, but he's not. He's with Basque, and he's buried in hmm. the village. And uh, when you're out in the vineyards, you can see this little uh, hillside cemetery, and that's where he's buried, looking out over the sea. Oh, wow. Did you try the wine? Oh, did I try the wine? I, I the, what kind of what, question what kind of that? researcher would I be if I did not try the wine? You know, I just had to ask. You know, the the wine is fascinating and fabulous. They their traditional grape varieties that they grow are indigenous grapes, and they too have terrific names. There's a white variety called Hanzarabi Zuri. It's wow. a red counterpart called Hanzarabi Belza. And then there's another red variety that they just grow in small amounts called Handarabi Zaratia. And they're all named after the town of Handarabi, which is uh, right near the border between France and Spain. And hmm. uh, Zuri means white and Belza or Belts means red, so hence the little tags on the end of the Handarabi. So not that it's hmm. just fun to say the names of the grapes that they grow, but the wine that they make from them is called Chacoli or hmm. Chacolina. And Chacolina has been around for a really, really long time. There's documented evidence that goes kind of to the midnight, uh, sorry, the, I think it's around 900 or 1100, 900, ninth, sorry, 9th century. And then uh, it was very, very popular through the Middle Ages and, right through into the 1800s. And then as the region became more industrialized and people left these little villages and, and so on, the vineyards between that and disease and, and other things, the vineyards sort of declined. And then in the 1980s, 1990s, they started to, because of this national pride and national identity of the Basques, they started uh, reviving their vineyards and setting standards. And then when uh, they became part of the European Union, uh, they followed the French example and the Spanish set up the, the uh, what we call the DOs, the Denomination Origin, Denomination of Origin, which is like the um, AOC in France. So it's, uh, they have three sanctioned regions in the Basque country of Spain where you can grow these grapes and make this wine called Chacoli. And Chacoli comes from uh, a Basque word that means from home or enough for home because that's originally what they made it. You know, it's just what they, they made for their own consumption, like most countries right. in Europe yeah, did. Mm. Yeah, and then it became very popular because it's very it's low alcohol 
it's very light and fresh and uh, citrusy and minerally and uh, almost like the sea. So it made a perfect match with all the seafood and fresh produce that, and, uh, that was uh, a mainstay of the diet in the coastal region of the Basque Country. And uh, it's absolutely wonderful. And the three different regions produce slightly different styles. But uh, the the wines in uh, Gitaria are have a little bit of spritz to them, not bubbles like champagne bubbles, but just a little little hint of uh, fizziness. Hmm. Cool. cool. So you say that it has in your article you talk about it's like it's taste of the sea, which is an interesting thing. You never mm-hmm. think of that when you're wine tasting. It's like is it like coffee? Is it like berries? You know, chocolate. Um, but Rarely do you hear of the sea. Yeah, a lot of regions, you know, we wine people, we do get a little carried away sometimes. But a lot of regions that have that, um, in this case, the the Atlantic influence or, or a marine influence uh, can often have a kind of saline um, mm-hmm. connotation to the wine. And a lot yeah. of times, because they are a cooler climate, the grapes don't get super, super ripe. So the wines are uh, lower in alcohol and have a higher acidity level, so it makes them very uh, refreshing and uh, brisk on the palate. So uh, that kind of reminds you of the sea as well. And possibly, you know, drinking it, walking through the vineyards of a beautiful winery in, uh, in the hills up above Gataria. Uh, you know, maybe that has something to do with it too. But but and the salt and a mineral thing that mm-hmm. happens with um, wine. If you have white wine off the beach, you have that mineral. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I can't. It gets it. back to our word that I say every time I'm on. It's the terroir, baby. Yeah. yeah. Well, so how would they compare? With like the the wines that come from like coastal California areas. Well, some of the coastal California regions that are a little cooler, uh, like Mendocino mm-hmm. and uh, that mm-hmm. area, you know, up north, quite north, getting close mm-hmm. to the Oregon border, some of them do have definitely a sort of sea spray mm-hmm. type of, of uh, connotation or influence to them. Cool. Now I want chocolate with sea salt. I know. And wine, <laughs> red wine. They also have chocolate wonderful salt in Basque Country as well. I didn't yeah, get to go to see the, the salt uh, fields, but um, mm. I, I did bring some home with me, and it's really, really wonderful. Yum, yeah. I mean, that and olive oil uh, are very important parts of, of the cuisine of the Basque Country. Ooh. Yeah, speaking of the food, San Sebastian, mm. I'm saying that correctly. Uh, you are. It's the highest mm. concentration of Michelin starred restaurants in the world. Wow. It is. It is. How about that? Yeah. It's it's a beautiful city. It's another one that has these, you know, this immensely long history. But most of the buildings, because San Sebastian is on this beautiful bay, which is now called uh, La Concha, the seashell, because it's a big Mm -hmm. curved shape like a seashell. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that bay was uh, a great shipping area, and so was the river that leads into it. And it was a main uh, seaport for Navarra and some of the more inland regions uh, near uh, the Basque area. 
And so it was very coveted, and it was fought over many, many times and burned to the ground many, many times. And uh, then in 1863, they sort of tore down the, the walls, most of the walls of the original walled city, and started building and expanding it. So most of the city now, when you see it, is this sort of, uh, you know, this uh, turn of the century, late, mid to late 1800s, and then another big push uh, around the, the Belle Epoque era. And it's beautiful architecture, and it's, again, another very walkable city. And uh, fabulous food. It was the headquarters of this, what they called the new... Basque cuisine, which was, you know, a lot of people may have heard of Nouvelle cuisine in, in France and Paul Bocuse and some of the famous chefs that really put ingredients first instead of a lot of heavy sauces and that kind of thing, and smaller portions of really high-end ingredients. And new Basque cuisine is similar in that way. The, the movement started in the mid-1970s, early 80s, and a lot of Basque chefs had gone to other parts of Europe, predominantly France, to study this type of cuisine and learn their craft. And then they came back and took that and married it to traditional Basque uh, food think and traditional ingredients and just created this amazing, amazing uh, cuisine. And uh, San Sebastian, which is called Donastia in the local dialect, it's kind of this hotbed of uh, of the uh, of this nouvelle cuisine, and also lots of pinchos bars and wonderful <laughs> fish markets, and yeah, it's yeah, it's it's the kind of city that's like really pretty, and it the food is so good it just makes you salivate. I mean, even little corner stores that have the a few fruits and veg out front are beautiful. Yeah. Mm. And so this is still coastal, right? Yes, it is, right on the coast. And another cool thing about San Sebastian is the uh, the river Oromea, which runs through the city, on the uh, west side of the estuary, you have this beautiful La Concha Beach, which uh, is supposed to be one of, if not the most beautiful uh, public city beach in Europe. And then on the wow. other side... On the eastern side of the estuary, you have this incredible surfer beach, and people come from all over the world to surf there. Wow, cool. And so yeah. And, and, and apparently this was also like la vida for the royals. Oh, it was. Yeah, you know, you've probably heard uh, of uh, the, um, I think I mentioned it before, the Belle Epoque and sort of a lot of the very wealthy people at the turn of the last century. And uh, it was made popular because uh, I think it was King Alfonso's widow, Maria Cristina, the queen, decided to make San Sebastian her summer retreat. And so when she went there every summer, so did the entire, her court and, you know, all the hangers-ons and all the, everybody who wanted to be anybody would, uh, would go there. And it's because of that, the architecture is beautiful, and the gardens and the the buildings and the and the uh, the wonderful uh, yacht club and it's it's just an absolutely heavenly little spot. Oh man, it sounds, it sounds awesome. awesome. Yeah. I was looking at the website, um, which is Sebastian 
So we're going to play Sunset Steps. It's written by Domingo de Gracia, which is now we're going towards Italy, I know, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's all Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is on the album Please Remember Me, which features the uh, music of Ted DeGrazio. They found his manuscript of music. When he passed away, they found his manuscript, and uh, they recreated his music uh, through the Tucson Jazz Ensemble through the university, and Domingo, who is a flamenco guitarist. And so they created the album, and this is uh, Domingo's original song, Sunset Step. So thanks so much for joining thanks, us. Thanks, Hillary. Well, thank you. I had a great time talking about my adventures, and I look forward to talking to you again really soon. And safe yeah. travels. Where are you going to next? Oh, yeah. We're go- you know, we're going to, um, tomorrow we go to Sabine Parish, which we're covering the no man's land of Louisiana, which is what we've been doing out there. It is this neutral strip for three years that there was no law and order. It's way cool. So Sounds like your kind of place. It's pirates. All right. Ooh, I love it. I know. Yeah. And they were fighting, and the Americans took it, but nobody claimed it. So there was, for three years, all heck broke loose, pirates, everything. So that's what cool. we'll be doing. On the Toledo Bend uh, area, Sabine River, and that's where we're going. But next time you talk with us, yeah. we're going to be talking about Whiskey Island. I am. Yes, kind of a bit of a departure. But, yeah, another uh, place that I did go back because I loved it so much and uh, found all kinds of wonderful new discoveries and uh, returned to some beautiful places that I had ventured to before, and I can't wait to talk about that. And it's about wine, too. I know. Oh, lots of wine. Yes, I went for a, a special wine weekend. And it was oh. uh, well worth the trip. Well, nice. everybody stay tuned. Hello, nice. we'll be back with us at the end of August. And here it is, Sunset Steps. Cheers to you, Hillary. And Quite thanks for Cheers. teaching Safe us Cheers, safe travels. <laughs> Thank you, you okay. too. Bye-bye.